I mean, this is the world we live in. Welcome to episode number 157 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, a lot to talk about. We had a Facebook outage, a Facebook whistleblower, Google and keyword warrants, a war of words between Chicago's mayor and the DA in the area, a new Biden nominee that's going to make you scratch your head. The attorney general says, you know, we need to look at this dangerous group. Who are they? You'll find out all that and more on today's episode. But let's start out with Facebook. They're not having a very good week over at Facebook. Zuckerberg, especially. The reports have him, due to the stock price tanking, losing $6 billion in one day. Yeah, $6 billion with a B. In one day. That's a bad day. Of course, that just means you have way, way more than $6 million. So I don't know if it's ever really a bad day for Zuck. But there was a Facebook outage, which is being reported as nothing more than a routing error. And when Facebook goes down, it seems like their child sites, like Instagram, go down as well. And that makes sense. But it showed the world. You know, you can go a day without Facebook or Instagram. The world's not really going to end. Maybe you should try it a little bit more. But at the same time, there is a Facebook whistleblower in front of Congress. And this is a interesting story in one way. And it could be taken in all sorts of different ways because I certainly don't trust Facebook. But what this whistleblower is saying, I didn't think would be a surprise to anybody. And this seems to be no smoking gun, nothing that wouldn't have been expected. And it's interesting, as I may have mentioned on a previous episode, even though the radical left used Facebook to get what they wanted over the last couple of years. Now they might be turning against Facebook. They might be turning against big tech. Facebook's reaction is interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. But this whistleblower that came out, her name is Frances Hogan, and she was a product manager on Facebook's civil integrity team. Don't know exactly what that means. These job descriptions, these titles that people have, Quite interesting. Knowing some millennials that get their first job and it's like senior executive of whatever. It seems like they could just kind of make up their own titles. So I don't really know what it means to be the product manager on Facebook civil integrity team. I didn't know Facebook had a whole lot of integrity. I didn't really expect Facebook to have any integrity. Facebook is a pretty simple thing. It is a social network that people go to and usually post stupid crap that they want their friends and family to see. It's usually only the good stuff. 
behind the scenes, you probably have a completely different life going on for most people on Facebook. It's a way for Facebook to get as much data on you as they can, which, I mean, it seems really cool. Like, oh, wow, I can tell Facebook all of the singers and bands that I like, all the TV shows I like, and then I'll be able to interact with people that like the same things. And while that may be a part of Facebook, what ends up happening is all of that data you have given Facebook they use in order to give you ads. Whether you want them or not, Facebook wants to give you ads. You are the product when you're not paying for a service online and nobody's paying for Facebook. Nobody's giving them money. They are the product. You are the product if you are on Facebook. And the concept with this whistleblower seems to be Facebook is toxic. Well, the internet is toxic. The world is toxic. People are toxic. People are not nice when it comes to this bullying and all this stuff that we've been talking about that was going on long before there was social media. And there are two different ways when it comes to the bullying to deal with it as a parent. You either teach your children to have self-worth in how to deal with a bully. And that was always the way it was when I was a kid. Now it seems to have turned to, well, let's cry, ask for a safe space. And if anybody even looks at you wrong, then go tell whoever and get them in trouble if you can. So if this is a surprise to you that Facebook and the Internet and Instagram and you know all these things are toxic, then you just haven't been paying attention. But according to a CNBC article on the testimony, quote, Huggins said that Facebook's algorithms could steer young users from something relatively innocuous, such as healthy recipes, which, yeah, how many youngsters do you know are on Facebook looking for healthy recipes? I don't know. But they say that it could steer them from those things as healthy recipes to content promoting anorexia in a short period of time. She proposed a solution for Facebook to change its algorithms to stop focusing on delivering posts that create more engagement and instead create a chronological feed of posts for Facebook's users. That, she said, would help Facebook deliver safer content. What she's describing is what Facebook and Twitter used to be when they came out. It was a board you can go, you could post. And there was just a nice chronological listing. Those days are gone. Those days are not coming back because those things do not engage the user. For these social media sites to actually be successful from a business standpoint, they need to engage the user. Otherwise, they will not exist, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if Facebook and Twitter, and the like are going to exist, and this isn't just Facebook, this is all social media, they need to have a way to keep people engaged with their platform. This concept that they're going to go back to a chronological feed, never going to happen, and that immediately tells me this woman, this whistleblower is nuts and has no idea what she's talking about because it's also not the algorithm that is what's causing harm. It's the fact that this content exists 
in the first place in this type of content, this back and forth, this bullying, this being mean to somebody, this criticisms, these things that people can't handle anymore because they don't know how to deal with reality are going to happen online and they're going to happen in your day-to-day life. If you run across somebody and they yell at you while you're driving, hey, you're a moron. Well, there's no safe space from that. Sorry, that's just the way the world is. And quoting Miss Hogan, quote, I saw that Facebook repeatedly encountered conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved those conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been a system that amplifies division, extremism, and polarization and undermining societies around the world. Now, she's not wrong about that because the type of content that is going to garner engagement and engagement in a social media world means people are noticing it. People are retweeting it if you're on Twitter. They're posting it if you're on Facebook. They are commenting on it. They are sharing it. It is something that when they are scrolling through mind-numbingly large amounts of posts, they see this and go, wait a minute, and they have to do something, whether that's respond, whether that is retweet or repost or whatever, that is getting the engagement. Now, things that don't get your anger up your emotions up in any way. It doesn't have to be anger, but things that don't get your emotions up are probably not going to get you involved. When it comes to any of these social media sites, things that anger you are going to keep you engaged way more than things that don't get any kind of reaction out of you whatsoever. And unfortunately, the internet in a perfect world, everybody could just have this great reaction to only things that make you feel good. My wife loves to follow the mascot from the Philadelphia Flyers on social media, Gritty, because he does all sorts of crazy stuff, and it's a feel-good thing. Most people, though, they're like this guy, big furry mascot, who cares? They'd rather get involved with the toxic people who want to go all out and swear and call people names and tell people they're morons. For whatever reason, that's the human condition. People like to do that. Again, this whistleblower coming out and going, hey, you know, when Facebook had a choice of whether to be the really nice, big, cuddly, furry mascot guy or, you know, make money for themselves, they decided they were going to make money for themselves. Once you become a publicly traded company, things get a little murkier as well because you have this thing called fiduciary responsibility to the folks that have invested in your company, which means it's up to you to make them money. Facebook is not in business. Spoilers, if you didn't know this, Facebook is not in business to make you happy. Facebook is in business to make themselves money. Instagram, part of Facebook, there to make money. Twitter, there to make money. YouTube, believe it or not, there to make money. One of the things brought up 
was something we had talked about, the concept that when it comes to Instagram, if you were a teenage girl who had body issues, then viewing Instagram might make that worse. We talked about some people had said that being on Instagram, because these were things that Facebook was looking at. That's why we are saying Instagram specifically. But I think this equally goes to any social media. Don't want to pick on just Facebook and Instagram. It's any social media, but Facebook's the one that did the research on this. And then it was leaked out, which is why a lot of this stuff is happening. But there were a lot of kids and it was a decent percentage. It was under 10%, but any percent is too much where it comes to kids going, you know, uh, going to the social media site made me want to kill myself. And this is something that I really cannot blame the social media sites themselves for. Again, I know I'm a broken record, but I'm going to continue to point to parents teaching their kids what the Internet is, that people overall are jerks, that you're going to run into a lot of them on the Internet and being instilled with the self-worth and the ability to handle with that is a parent's job. And I think parents have been failing Because they just want to give their kids a screen and send them off onto the world. Again, the internet is a cesspool. And if you don't understand that as a parent, you're not understanding what you need to do to protect your children. Now, the interesting thing here is if you gave me a magic wand, if you put me in charge of the internet, which the world would not like, but if you put me in charge of the internet and say, Come up with a way to fix this. There is no way to fix this because you cannot fix human nature. You cannot fix the fact that people are going to be jerks. You cannot fix the fact that people are going to go nuts. They are going to go to extremes. They are going to intentionally try to hurt other people. You could, I guess, make this illegal and start throwing people in jail, but they don't even throw people in jail for shooting people. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's no easy answer to this. And the Facebook reply is somewhat interesting. And again, it's also something for me that is not completely out of left field because Mark Zuckerberg in the past has made statements that will echo this, which is taken from their response to this whistleblower quote, We don't agree with her characterization of the many issues she testified about. Despite all of this, we agree on one thing. It's time to begin to create standard rules for the Internet. It's been 25 years since the rules for the Internet have updated. And instead of expecting the industry to make societal decisions that belong to legislators, it's time for Congress to act. End quote. Now. That is kind of a scary statement when you think about it. So much for the free and open Internet. And Zuckerberg understands, I believe, what I just said, which is you put me in charge of the Internet and ask me to fix this. I don't know what the answer is, because right now, with the way the political climate is, if you were to give all of this power to, say, somebody like AOC, you know, the far lefties, well, They would love to squash the conservatives. They want to get rid of free speech. 
They don't want you to be able to say things like you don't believe in this vaccine being a good thing. The the vote for the president was not completely legit. They want to squash all of that. On the other side of that, if you give all the power to the other side, then they're going to do things in a similar manner against the other side. This concept that free speech is free speech and there is nothing but free speech. You either have free speech or you don't. There is no partial. There is no, well, we have free speech, but, you know, we can't have people saying mean things to pudgy little girls. You can't do it. You either have free speech or you don't. And when you don't have free speech, then anything that may be uttered is going to be game for maybe becoming illegal at some point. We're getting it already with things like, oh, no, you called her or him the wrong pronoun, and now you're going to go to jail. Literally, people are being arrested for misgendering folks in some parts of the world. But here in Chicago, they won't even charge you if you're on video shooting somebody. But we'll get to that. We will. I promise we'll get to that. But Zuckerberg's not an idiot. He's made a lot of money. I mean, he's lost billions in a day. He's made billions in a day. And the reality is wanting to turn this over to Congress is a really bad idea. The Internet is a worldwide thing. Trying to legislate anything on the Internet is really a fool's errand. Because it crosses borders. I mean, yeah, there are some areas where they turn the Internet off. They have the Great Firewall of China. I bet you can't get your full Internet access in places like Iran. But this concept that you can make something that people are posting to the Internet illegal is very, very hard for me to swallow. Again, It's an international thing. So these would have to be worldwide laws. And then who is going to have jurisdiction in order to prosecute? So if you make something illegal, well, then so what? If somebody's in an area, as I believe we've talked about in the past, when it comes to piracy and all this stuff going on, one of the reasons why NordVPN, which is a VPN service, we'll be talking about that reasoning for needing a VPN in a minute in one of the next stories as well. But why they're based in Panama is because they don't care about the DMCA. If your favorite record label movie studio catches you downloading through NordVPN and sends them a notice, they're just going to put it right into the trash because they don't care. They're not under the jurisdiction. They don't have to do anything about it. The Internet being a worldwide thing makes this concept that the United States Congress has to do something is absolutely ridiculous. Of course, you already have these companies that are trying to censor certain political groups, which makes it necessary for the one side to try to get involved. If Facebook was smart, they would just be completely hands off politically and be like, oh, we're going to get rid of all child porn and stuff like that. But otherwise, Go for it, because I don't think Facebook or any of these companies want to be the battleground that the left and right are fighting over. But I guess we'll see 
exactly where that goes with all of this social media stuff. Now, something, even if you're not on Facebook, most people at one point or another will do a Google search. That's a big part of the internet, finding what you want. Most people go to Google to do their searching. It's something that I got rid of a while ago. I've moved over to DuckDuckGo.com, and there are a few other services that you can use. But there was a story that popped up about what they call keyword warrants when it comes to search engine providers. And Google's not alone in this, but since Google is the largest one, they were the one that this story was based upon, which showed that there have been times already that the government has gone to Google when doing investigations and have asked for data on people that have searched for certain search terms at specific times. One was the story of a kidnapping victim where they went and did a keyword search on people that searched for her name, searched for two different spellings of her mother's name, and I think the address of her home. So that was a pretty limited search, but there was also a case of the Austin bombings back in 2018 where it was an even wider search net which was somebody searching for different addresses that were the targets of these bombings and you know how to make bombs on Google they were tagged so i mean just imagine now the world that you're living in because again spoilers if you don't know this if you're doing a Google search that is stored pretty much forever if you think your search history is private it's not with google if you're signed into your google account as a lot of people are if you have gmail every time you do a search that goes into their database and as the end user you can get all of this information it's really kind of scary you can go back and you can request all of this information and they will give you all of your data so you can see everything that you search for i believe if you use one of their devices and you do voice searches, you can get all of that audio as well. It's all available in their system. Meaning when law enforcement is looking for certain things, this is now a thing where they can go, well, here's a keyword we're looking for. So give us all the data you have on anybody that looked for these particular keywords during this particular period of time, which comes down to very close in my estimation to the concept of having thought police and the ACLU agrees with this. And I've got a quote here from Jennifer Granick, who is a surveillance and cybersecurity counsel at the American civil liberties union. And she says, trawling through Google search history database enables police to identify people merely based on what they might've been thinking about for whatever reason at some Point in the past. This is a virtual dragnet through the public's interests, beliefs, opinions, values, and friendships akin to mind reading powered by the Google Time Machine. This never before possible technique threatens First Amendment interests and will inevitably sweep up innocent people, especially if the keyword terms are not unique and the time frame not precise. 
To make matters worse, police are currently doing this in secret, which insulates the practice from public debate and regulation. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. That when this becomes the norm, that you just start doing a dragnet on the words that people have searched for for a variety of different reasons. I do a few different podcasts, and I can tell you, I've looked up some weird stuff over the past few years. You accidentally get the wrong search term at the wrong time, and you maybe have an FBI agent come knocking on your door. Now he's like, I was just doing a show. I mean, point him over to randomthoughts.com and say, here, you see? But most people, uh, pro- well, I was say most people don't have a podcast, but today it seems like most everybody has a podcast. But it's very important to know that the terms that you type into your search engine, especially if it's Google, can possibly get you into a bit of hot water if you're searching for the wrong things at the wrong time. And there's a few ways you can protect yourself. First and foremost, don't use Google. Use something like DuckDuckGo that doesn't keep those kind of records, that doesn't try to track you as much, allegedly. And I don't know. I don't know the back end of all these services, and I don't know what they're really doing, but that is what they say publicly. The other thing you can do is run your internet searches through a VPN, which will at least hide your IP address. But As we've also talked about in the past, there are ways to fingerprint your machine, including through the browser you're using, your screen resolution, all sorts of different things. The fonts that you have available to you on your system, which means you're probably never going to be 100% safe from being identified through your search history. But there are things you can do, including using a VPN. Use a different browser. Use the incognito mode of the browser. Probably don't use Google Chrome if you're going to do a search even somewhere besides Google. Use one of the more privacy-orientated browsers like the Brave browser, which has a thing built in now where you can hook up to the Tor network, which is like a VPN, but it's through a whole bunch of different connections. So it does a bit more to hide your identity when doing said searches. I know the usual people are going to say the usual things like, I got nothing to hide. What do I care? And that's fine. Go upon your merry way, completely ignorant of the world around you. And when it comes back to bite you in the ass, don't come looking for us. But let's move over to Chicago, where there is some interesting stuff going on in the fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has got to the point to where she is even calling out the district attorney, Kim Fox, who, as we talked about on a previous episode, was helped to get elected by the one and only George Soros, put a lot of money into the Kim Fox campaign. And as we've talked about ad nauseum here on Random Thoughts, doesn't really want to prosecute criminals in the city of Chicago. You want to know why crime is running rampant in the major cities in the United States? You don't have to look far. You look who the district attorneys are in the areas and then look who helped them get elected almost every damn time. George Soros is the one behind 
helping them get elected. And Lori Lightfoot is even getting to the point to where she can no longer stay silent on this. And I think that's a good thing. Maybe there's some other scam going on that I don't know about, or maybe Lori Lightfoot is finally looking at this saying, you know what? This is going to be my legacy. The violence in Chicago is going to be put on her because most people don't know who the DA is. Most people don't know who Kim Fox is, but they all know Lori Lightfoot. And there was a shooting in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago that was caught on video. There were police officers on the scene. And for whatever reason, the DA, Kim Fox, decided, yeah, there's there's not enough evidence to decide who if we should charge anybody. No, we're not going to charge anybody, you know, at least yet. I mean, I know there were police on the scene. I know there's video of guys getting out of vehicles and then starting to open fire. But, you know, we can't really tell for sure who started the shooting. So we can't really put any. No, we can't charge anybody. I mean, this is the world we live in. You get like 50 people and they're all shooting at each other. And the DA goes, you know, I'm not really sure who shot first. So, uh, I mean, I know there's people dead and that's all fine and dandy, but. No, we really can't charge anybody because, I mean, Kim Fox seems to like the carnage going on in the city of Chicago. Now, Mayor Lightfoot called her out publicly, and Mayor Lightfoot was also a prosecutor at one point. So I would think she knows a thing or two about what's going on in the city of Chicago. And this is what she said, quote, we can't live in a world where there is no accountability. (laughs) I mean, yes. Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. Finally coming around to realizing we cannot live in a world where there is no accountability. We've talked about this. People walking into Walgreens and CVS and walking out with 900 something dollars worth of goods because then, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to prosecute you. We can't live in a world where there's no accountability. Thank you, Mayor Lightfoot. We have the crime problem that we have right now because there has been absolutely no accountability. Mayor Lightfoot continues, quote, meaning individuals who wreak havoc, who fire indiscriminately or fire at a target, but without any regard to life and the health and the well-being of others. If they do not feel like the criminal justice system is going to hold them accountable, we're going to see a level of brazenness that will send this city into chaos. And we cannot let that happen. We simply cannot let that happen. End quote. Mayor Lightfoot, I think we have let that happen. I think we are there. I'm glad you're finally seeing it. I'm glad you are waking up to it and understanding that criminals are not going to stop doing what they do if there is no repercussion for doing so. This should not be a surprise to anybody, just like it shouldn't be a surprise that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the rest of the social media online is a cesspool. This shouldn't be a surprise. This has been going on for hundreds of years. People, if they are allowed to do bad things and nothing bad happens to them, they don't get locked up. They don't get shot. They don't get killed. If they're allowed to do bad things with very little chance of being punished for doing them. 
they will continue. Human beings are jerks. Hate to tell you, if there's no repercussions on the other end, people will do a lot of bad things. Mayor Lightfoot, thank you for finally seeing this. I hope you continue down this path. I hope you can do something to start cleaning up the city of Chicago. It's not the only one with problems. New York has them too. But it's time these leaders stand up for their cities and for their people and not worry about political ideology, not worry about the fact that maybe a majority of the people committing crimes in certain areas are the ones that, you know, we don't, it's inconvenient to talk about. It's inconvenient. They're the victims, really. If you're getting out of a vehicle and opening fire, you don't get to play the victim card. I'm sorry. That's a little bit too far. Maybe Mayor Lightfoot has seen the light. Somebody who has not seen the light is President Joe Biden, who is continuing down his path of placating the crazy leftist people that uh, want to ruin the country, that want to bring us from capitalism into communism or into Marxism. And this is one. I'm going to suggest you do a little homework on your own just to, you know, keep your skills going. Don't use Google, though, to do searches because then they might come and put you in the concentration camp. But Biden's latest nominee for comptroller of the currency had no idea this was a position. But this is the person that would oversee the banking, the money system, all that is a woman named Sole, I believe, S-A-U-L-E. Omarova, who has a very interesting history. Ms. Omarova was born in the Soviet Union, speaks highly of the Soviet Union because, you know, the wages between men and women were fair and the women got a great maternity leave because of that really, we, when we think of the Soviet Union, that would be the first things that come to mind. But she has published in the past her idea on how to fix things when it comes to the currency system in the United States. And again, the position that Joe Biden has put her up for is comptroller of the currency is that we get rid of all of these uh, crazy, stupid little private banks. And we make everything one big federal bank. So if you got money in the bank, it won't be in Chase, won't be in Bank of America. I mean, yeah, some of these banks suck. Let's all be honest. Won't be in Wells Fargo, but you won't get to choose where to put it. It'll just be a government bank. The government will have all of your money. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? Which is what Ms. Omarova wants. And Joe Biden has put her up for comptroller of the currency wants to get rid of the private banking system in its entirety. This goes along with the Biden administration pushing for any banking transaction over $600 being reported to the IRS. Well, now the bank would basically be the IRS. And if they thought you weren't paying your fair share, they wanted more money from you, they wouldn't have to come ask you to pay it. The money would be right there where they can take it. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You tell me the country's not going downhill fast. And I ask you what the heck is going on. 
with Joe Biden. He was not a crazy leftist just a few years ago. I really don't think he has any idea what he's doing. I think he's signing orders and nominating people. People are just putting papers in front of him and going, sign here, Uncle Joe. And he's going, all right, whatever you say. It's sad. It's dangerous. This is not good. Not good at all when somebody that wants to dismantle the banking system is being put in charge, being nominated by the president anyway to be the comptroller of the currency. So, yeah, do some homework. Find out what you can find out about Ms. Omarova. It might scare the living bejesus out of you. And in our final story, we need to talk about Attorney General Merrick Garland, another guy Joe Biden has brought us, another wacko leftist nut job who is asking the FBI to mobilize on a very dangerous group, which would be, uh, let's see, terrorists. Uh, Well, you know, they kind of consider them terrorists. Parents who are protesting against having critical race theory taught in the schools. Yeah, that's who Merrick Garland wants the FBI to start investigating. So be careful again if you're doing research on CRT and using Google, because, I mean, the government might start asking for records about that, too. This is the upside down world that we live in. This, again, goes back down to freedom of speech where, oh, you're going to protest. You're going to dare protest something that the radical left wants. Now you're going to be a domestic terrorist, parents. If you don't believe your kids should be taught critical race theory in school, you are going to now be a domestic terrorist because, you know, you have a different viewpoint than a bunch of radical leftists. The world is upside down. It is absolutely upside down. I don't know if something does not have a massive change a year from now. When the midterm elections come in the United States, the circling the drain may not be able to be stopped. On the bright side, you're listening to me and the Random Thoughts podcast, so you at least have an idea of what's going on. We work on the value for value model, which means we put these shows out there. They're not behind a paywall. You get to access them, you get to enjoy them. And if you got something out of them, if you found some value in the show, then it's up to you to show some value back to the show. There's a variety of ways of doing that, including if you're using a podcasting 2.0 app. And if you're not, why not? Go to newpodcastapps.com and find one. And if you get involved in that ecosystem, you can send value directly through the podcast app using a thing called Satoshis, which are a portion of a Bitcoin So if you're using one of those apps right now, click that little boost button, boost, boost, boost away. And it is just that easy to get involved in the value for value model. Or you can go the route of going to randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com slash donate, clicking the donate button. That'll take you to PayPal for a one-time or monthly donation. You can use the QR codes or the wallet addresses if you want to use the crypto thing. I need to add some sheep coin, S-H-I-B. Popped up on uh, Coinbase the other night, and I had read a little bit about it. It's something to do with Dogecoin, and I knew Elon Musk liked it. And I'm like, ah, I'll transfer 50 bucks out of the Bitcoin I had into the sheep coin. And uh, that's up to about 135 bucks now in two days. 
I wish I had like a million bucks to put in there. That would have been nice. But you can use those crypto and you can also use the snail mail P.O. box address. If you want to use the check or money order or whatever you want, you can go that route. They are all very much appreciated. You can even go over to patreon.com slash random thoughts. And if you're in that ecosystem, that is a way to do it as well. We do have a few people to thank for today's show. Coming in first and foremost, our buddy Stu Coates with his monthly $6.66 donations. We tell you to find a number that means something to you. And I don't even want to know, Stu, if there's a pentagram or something up on the wall, what's going on. No matter what, we appreciate the donation as we do from the two guys over on Patreon. And we don't do any extra content over there. It's just a way to get a donation in. I mean, maybe we should if uh, either of these guys want something special. I mean, they're the only ones over there right now. Brian Janak and Dennis Woods coming in with $5 a piece over on Patreon. And it's all very much appreciated. It all helps to keep the lights on, the microphone sounding good, the web servers up and all of that. So it's appreciated when people can send a little value back our way. And it's appreciated that you're giving us your time to listen to the Random Thoughts podcast and the other shows that I do, including Planet Rage with Larry Blydener. We just did episode number six over there, and I think we're finally hitting our stride, planetrage.show. Grumpy Old Benz I've been doing with my buddy Gene Nevtuliev. That's at grumpyoldbenz.com. And of course, if you like the rock and roll and you're a fan of the No Agenda podcast, live on Thursdays and Sundays, we have a little bit of fun channeling our inner Dr. Johnny Fever or Wolfman Jack at noagendastream.com at 9 a.m. Central Time. And before I sign off, I want to mention that last night I did something that I have not done in years, and that was watch a complete Major League Baseball game. From start to finish, I turned on the Red Sox and Yankees because, you know, it's the Red Sox and Yankees. That is a rivalry that is better than most. I'm a Red Sox fan. Don't hate the Yankees, but when they're playing the Red Sox, I hate the Yankees. And it was a lot of fun to see the Red Sox take them out last night. The game was only a bit over three hours, which by Yankees and Red Sox standards is pretty quick. I guess the games have continued to get longer throughout this regular season. I have not watched a single game all season. Have not even watched an inning, I don't believe this season my white Sox, yeah they're in the playoffs still don't care maybe i'll try watching a game or two i mean it's probably better than the woke shows that are on television right now but we'll see i didn't hate it it was entertaining but it didn't hook me to like oh i want to watch every game for the rest of the postseason i could probably go the rest and not see any more and feel like i've been fulfilled With that said, thanks for hanging out with us on another edition of the Random Thoughts Podcast. I will be back next Wednesday with a whole new, fun, exciting, death-defying episode. I hope you'll join me. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.